Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, so we're in 1 Peter last week. Am I really loud? Am I right? I am loud. It's because I'm excited. <laughs> Stop it. Last week, uh, Brother Bill preached or taught or whatever you want to call it to, to us through from verses 13 through 16. Bill, I really appreciate you doing that. I'm going to make an attempt to recap what you said, although I'm sure I'm not getting it exactly right. Uh, we did watch it, so that was good. We had service with you guys. But last week, Bill talked about how because of the grace we received and the hope that we have, we are to walk in faith as Christ walked in faith. And so all of that while becoming holy as he is holy. Now that's a one-sentence paraphrase or a two-sentence paraphrase of a 35-minute conversation, but that's, that's essentially where we got. Because of what we have, there's an expectation on us. Amen? And that expectation is that we be a holy people because God is holy. You guys understand where I'm coming from? We are expected to be holy because God is holy. I, I prayed a very specific prayer before I started today that God give me the right words to say and a receptive audience to receive them because it's going to take a receptive ear to walk out of here today unoffended. <laughs> Or unchallenged. How about that? Uh, unchallenged is a better word. Um, well, it's going to take foolishness to walk out of here unchallenged. It's going to take a receptive heart to accept it. And here's the verse that I'm going to preach from today. I plan on teaching today from 17 through 21, but I, through the process of prayer and actually writing a whole other sermon, uh, I, settled to, I settled on 17 instead. And I'll get to the rest of them next week. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges, according to one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. That's a mouthful of challenge right there. I'm going to read it again and maybe read it again because I need you to pay attention to what it's saying. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges, how many of you guys call, jo call God through intimacy in him father? And have the ability to. Everybody that's given their life to the Lord has the ability to do that. And so if you address, which should be all believers, the Father is the one who impartials, impartially judges according to our work, we are to do what? We are to conduct ourselves in fear. The name of this lesson today is Rightful Fear. The church lacks most significantly right now in its lack of fear fear of God. Every problem I believe that the church is facing today, both inside and outside the walls of the church, is a result of us not understanding or not submitting to the awesomeness of who God is. Because if we would submit to the awesomeness of who God is, walk in obedience according to the word, the blessing that we're looking for is out there, 
the society that we hope for is out there, it's because when his people bow down and humble themselves that he heals land. So it's our fault because we refuse to be humble. We refuse to bow down at the feet of the only one that can solve the problems that we have. You're all, Pastor Jim, I, no, it's so-and-so's fault, or it's this party's fault, or it's this whatever. It's not their fault. It's our fault as believers because the power of God works through prayer. And he says, if you, then I will heal your land. And so you want a better society, you want a better church, we've got to start being better church people. People say, well, I don't have to go to church to be good church people. Yes, you do. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell made you made to make you feel comfortable about who you are. People say, well, I could find God in a boat. Well, first off, you're not finding God anywhere. God found you in a boat. But you can't be in relation with the people of God like you should be in a boat. You can't assemble together in a boat. There's a bunch of stuff. There's several commands, 39 one another commands in the New Testament Scripture. So you have to be with one another to fulfill those commands. And if we're going to fulfill those commands, then we have to be assembling with one another. My whole point is we need to understand that God is powerful enough to solve our problem, but we have to be willing to come together as a church first, recognizing that God will solve the problem that we have. When it starts with us, corporately and independently, individually. Conduct yourself in fear. When I was a young man, many of you know this, most of you, I was adopted my, by my grandparents. My grandfather went to Dallas, Texas, brought me back here. <coughs> I, was, I was in a bad way. He brought me back here. They adopted me. And he told me, he said, I require two things of you. He said, to be obedient, do what I tell you to do, and be reverent, which means to respect me. And if you do that, you're not going to have to worry about where you sleep. You're not going to worry about what you're going to eat. You're not going to worry about what you're going to wear. We're going to absorb the cost of your lifestyle. The only thing I expect of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this very long conversation he and I had, the only thing we expect of you is reverence and obedience. I won't de be disrespected, and I won't be disobeyed. Neither will your grandmother. And if my grandfather can expect that of me, my pawpaw can expect that of me, then God should be able to expect that of us. Because if we want our needs taken care of, if we expect God to be God to us and walk alongside us and bless us, then he should be able to expect that we will revere and obey him. This is just fair. If it's good enough for my papa, it's good enough for God. The problem is the church has lost its, and I'm going I'm to use this phrase, people don't particularly care for it, we have lost our holy terror of the Almighty God. They're all, I don't want to be terrified of God. Well, then you've never had a revelation of God. Because let me tell you, a God that created all this can stop all this, and that ought to freak you out. Everybody okay? Anybody, start, anybody taking a breath since I started? I just need us to understand 
God should expect us to be people of holy fear. Of holy, I like the word terror better because God is so big, so powerful, so mighty, so sovereign, so glorious, so beautiful, so large, that to be in His presence should cause us to shudder. It says, work out your salvation in what? Fear and trembling. When was the last time that we as a person or a church trembled in the presence of God? It's an an intentional pause because I want you to try to think back. When was the last time you literally trembled in the presence of God? What does that even look like? I think it looks like Isaiah 6, 5, when Isaiah received his calling and he said, truly said from the depths of his soul, woe is me, I am destroyed because I am a sinner. He recognized that God was so big and he was so small that he thought that his lack of holiness would destroy him and rightfully so. It looks like Simon Peter in Luke 5, 8. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus walks up to the beach and says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. He casts their net on the other side of the boat, catches all this fish. He realizes that Jesus is who he is when Jesus was calling them all to ministry. He jumped out of the boat, fell on his face. I'm sorry, he didn't jump out of the boat because Jesus was in that boat. That's the second time. He fell on his face and declared Christ as Lord and began to worship him. When was the last time you recognized God as for who he is and fell on your face in front of him in fear, reverence, and honor of who he is? It doesn't look like just like Isaiah or Simon Peter. It looks like Paul in Acts 9 where he shouts out, and I can't believe he said, Who are you, Lord? He was freaked out on the road to Damascus. Because he had just gotten a revelation of God he had never had before. He was in the presence of God. And he screamed out, who are you, Lord? Declaring that he, he had a reverential fear for what at that moment he realized he had done prior to that day. It looks like not just him, but David in 1 Samuel 26, 9 where him and his boy Abishai went into the tent of Saul and he wanted to stick him to the ground and he said, no, 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 don't do that. We're not going to touch God's anointed. Because he was fearful. God put his hand on him. Who is he to destroy that which God placed his hand on? There's a fear, a holy fear that runs throughout all the scripture. What does it look like? It looks like anyone that has ever come into contact with grace, with the true love and mercy of God, if you've ever gotten to a place where you've tasted grace, truly tasted grace, you know what fear looks like. Because in order to have tasted that grace, you would have had to acknowledge that fear. And there's a consequence for not doing it, for not being fearful. People tell me all the time, they say, well, not all the time, but regularly enough, man, I want, a, I want one of those old first century churches where they just poured out unto the Lord. Are you sure? Because that was a holy church. 
And that holy church, whenever it wasn't holy, bore the consequence of its unholiness. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story about Ananias and Sapphira who sold some property. And the husband walks in, he said, here, this is the full amount that we got for our property. We want to give it to the Lord. And Peter looks at him and says, why do you not lie to me? You're not lying to me. Why are you lying to God? Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit struck him dead. Do you know that same God that was in the first century church is in this church? His wife came by, they said about three hours later, he asked her the same thing. Well, maybe she got some sense. She didn't know her husband was dead. Is it true that this is the full price you got for your property? Yes. Why you lie to God? Struck her dead. It said the same hands and feet that carried out her husband carried her out. That same God is in this church. That same God is alive today. That same God expects the same holiness of his people today as he expected then. People say, I want a first century church. You know, there's a story in the book of Acts about a young man that fell asleep during a sermon, fell out the window and died, and they had to bring him back by the power of the Holy Spirit. You sure you want to be in that church? Because most, some of y'all will be dead on Sunday. What am I saying? I'm saying we are to be a reverential church. I feel like I'm the only person. I actually asked a guy this one day, I said, what is it about my character that makes me the only person in your life that it's okay to lie to. Because I must be, there must be something about my character because they tell me, yeah, I'll be at church on Sunday. You would never lie to any of your friends. You're going to lie to me. Even if something came up, can you call? Let me know you're not going to be here. Maybe I worry about you. Or maybe you just need to be held accountable for being lazy. You rolled over and realized, ah, my word's not that big a deal to Pastor Jim. He's still going to love me. I'm still going to love you. God's still going to love you. But the same hands and feet that carried them out of the church likely to carry you out of the church because it's the same God, but we're comfortable with lying in the house of God today. We weren't comfortable with lying in the house of God back then. We lost our reverence for God, and it's time to get it back. Time to recognize that stealing from God isn't okay. Lying to God isn't okay. God, from now on, starting 2021, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I swear by that. I, I dare you. Because one of the prayers I'm going to start praying this year is that God hold everybody accountable to the promise they make. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what that's going to look like for me. But I'm going to put myself in there too. Because God deserves to be treated reverentially and with obedience. Everybody okay? I get so, I don't, I don't like to use the word fussy or angry from, from this, from the platform. But it does frustrate me. You know, I had a guy tell me this year that they were coming back to the church because they didn't feel like they were loved right you ain't loved right in this church it's because you've separated yourself or because you don't know what love is and if for some reason you're not being loved right come tell me i'll fix that 
you will be loved right tomorrow. And whoever didn't love you right will walk around with a fat lip. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to hit anybody. <laughs> but we'll have a talk because we're not going to have people mistreated because they don't deserve to be mistreated. They deserve to be loved. Right? Love them, serve them, what? Speak kindly to them. That's our philosophy of ministry. Forgot why I even brought that up now. I've gone on a rabbit trail. My whole point is the church should do better. The church should be better. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking about this place. I'm talking about these people. God deserves better from us. And there's a consequence if he doesn't get it. Amen? So now I'm going to start my teaching. That was the intro. <laughs> I got a little carried away. <laughs> I got three points that I want to make today, whether I get to them or not. We are to be rightfully fearful, according to verse 17, for three reasons. Beyond the fact that God deserves our reverence and obedience. Because rightful fear allows us access to God. Any of you guys ever feel like you, you can't get as close as you want to God? Like, I'm struggling, I'm praying, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. Or I feel like I'm in this echo chamber where I'm not moving forward spiritually. It might be that you have a fear and a reverence problem. Because let me tell you, to have access to God, to address Him as Father, you must know Him. Now, I'm not talking about a knowledge of Him. You could read this word and gain some kind of knowledge. You can read some book written about this word and gain some kind of knowledge on an intellectual level. I'm talking about intimacy. If you're hoping to be intimate with God, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've yet to scratch the surface of how intimate I hope to be with the God I serve. And that should be all of our desire. But we have to we have to fear him to know him. Knowing him is a direct result of fearing him. Let me explain. Proverbs 9.10 reads like this. For the fear of the Lord, which is reverence, for fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I want an increased knowledge of, of the Holy One. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you better. How many times have you guys heard me pray that over this congregation? Every time I'm up here. I've been told we're not supposed to pray repetitive prayers. The Bible says don't pray repetitive prayers. What that means is don't pray prayers so repetitive they don't mean anything to you anymore. I don't care if you pray the same thing over and over and over again all day, every day. If what you're saying is a true reflection of how you feel towards God and, and a, a seeking to, to know Him better. So it has to move past a mere intellectualism to a true intimate knowledge of Him. Can I, can I ask one question? I'm going to ask one question. You raise your hand if you want to. How many of you guys know as much about God as you want to. 
Well, praise the Lord. Because I was about to say, we need to talk after church. Uh, I had to ask my pastor one time, who was gracious enough to, to be here this Sunday. If you missed it, you missed a blessing, I think. He says some stuff sometimes it's crazy, but he's still a blessing. Um, I forgot what he was saying. I forgot what I was going to say. Told you I was too jangly. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> anyway, I, it'll come to me in a minute. We have to have a true understanding of who God is. A rightful fear of who God is. When we have a rightful fear about our understanding of grace, our intimacy grows. Imagine a God that loves you so much that according to the word, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That you were subject to judgment, but Christ came to remove you from that judgment. You know, when you understand that, the true grace of God, the mercy extended in the grace of God, your fear of God should grow. And I'm putting this out there because I want you to really think about this. When was the last time you focused on just the grace that was given to you? I deserved hell. For that to have any weight, I have to believe hell is real. For that to have any weight, I have to believe that God is real and that he's a perfect judge, and he is. But he removed me from all of that because he loves me enough to extend mercy to me, which we know is grace. Your knowledge of him grows your fear of him. Same thing with his holiness. Be holy as I am holy. There's a quote Pastor Rick sent me the other day by Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, who passed away last year, I think, but he was an incredible theologian. And he said, he said, there's a strange, and I'm not going to get the quote right, but there's a strange paradox in that the more you recognize of God's holiness, the more you recognize your unholiness. I can remember when I first got saved, man. I had, I had like a list of three or four things. I was like if I could just get these three or four things right, me and God gonna be legit, right? What I didn't know is these were boulders, but stacked all around those boulders are gravels, and stacked around all those gravels are sand. And whether it be a bo a mountain, a boulder, gravel, or sand, each of them is the same affront to God, and each one of them needs to be dealt with. But I don't realize that if I don't understand and grow in my fear of God's holiness. This should grow my fear of Him. As I recognize what I'm not and what He is, it should cause me a reverence to pursue Him so that I might be that which He's called me to be, which is Christ-like, which is to move towards holiness. Rightful fear that we grow in knowledge of his power. I, I've said this probably a thousand times since I've been here, I don't know. 
but there's every particle of energy in the entire universe. Angela did a thing for the youth the other day about all the stars and all the stuff that that God's created and how he's such an awesome creative God. If you could take every, I don't know what the measurement is, it's not ounces, but every small piece of energy, joule of energy from the ocean, from every volcano, from the plates of the earth moving, to the earth moving, to every river, to whatever energy it costs, just to keep your heart beating. Every jewel of energy in the entire universe. Put it all together. God's more powerful than all of that. And when we realize that this is the powerful God that we serve, it should grow our reverence in him. It should create in us a rightful fear. A holy terror. But it should also give us confidence. Because if he's powerful enough, more powerful than all that, who is it that can stand opposed to us? Who can separate us? Word says nobody. But we grow in our fear when we grow in our understanding. In his sovereignty, and I don't want to beat this to death, but I guess I am. In his sovereignty, when we recognize he's in control, and that we're not in control, it should create fear in us. A holy fear in us. An esteem in God. What am I saying? Holy fear. Rightful fear. Holy terror. Increases as our knowledge increases. And many of us won't open our Bible except for on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I could teach every Sunday and every Wednesday between now and the time I die, and I hope to. But if that's the only thing you're receiving out of the Word of God, you're never going to grow in your intimacy with God. Because the Word is, submit to God. And the enemy will flee from you. But I want you to mean I want you to focus on submit to God. Which means to release yourself completely to God. And when you do that, in fear and understanding of his power, of his magnificence, of his sovereignty, of his grace, of all of these things, there's a promise that as you draw near to him, because that's the inevitable result, intimacy. He will draw near to you. But all of this happens only when we have rightful fear. Amen? The second thing is rightful fear remembers judgment. Rightful fear remembers judgment. I need you to understand. Let me read this text to you again. The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Judgment from a perfect judge is coming. 
because people don't like <laughs> people don't like that kind of stuff. They're, but I want to serve a God that loves me and coddles me, and, and He wants to do that, and He does do that. But He still expects from you. He is going to judge righteously and impartially. Romans two eleven says, "For there is no." partiality or favoritism with God. Which means there's a judgment coming based on whether or not you belong to God through the blood shed by Jesus Christ and your confession of it. Let me read this to you. 12 through 16 says this of Romans chapter 2. Right after it says, There is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, which means when we do like we know we're supposed to do, not having the law or a law of themselves, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, which is what God does for us by giving us the Spirit, He writes the Word of God in our hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my Gospels, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. That's a lot of words to say this. God doesn't show partiality. You're either saved by the blood of Christ or you are not saved by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is that you have made a declaration according to Romans 9, 10, that, or 10, 9, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Everyone else is still in judgment according to John 3, 17 and 18. And so the question is, have you remembered, do you remember, day to day to day that there is a judgment coming. For you. Individually. Yesterday I heard a guy say, Angela and I like to watch like mystery shows on TV, you know, like Line and whatnot, and the detective said something along the lines of, "He said, he said we didn't initially look at him because we thought he's from a good family. He couldn't have done this." Let me tell you, I don't care what family you come from. If you haven't committed yourself to Christ Jesus and become part of the family of God, you're going to hell. But also, it doesn't matter what family you come from. If your whole family goes to hell and you've committed your life to Jesus, you're not going to hell. At some point, you're going to stand before God and give account for yourself because God judges and he judges impartially based on whether or not you belong to him, period. That should cause us to fear. It causes me a great amount of fear. I can't tell you how many times, sometimes I, 
I don't pay attention. I'm going to be honest with you and be as transparent as I can. Sometimes I don't pay attention the way that I should. But most of the time, I'll start to do something I know or I feel like I shouldn't be doing, and then I get that fear of judgment, fear of God. I'm like, you know what? I ought not do that. I ought not say that. I ought not act that way. I ought not treat that person that way. You know why? Because of my belief that the God of the first century church is still the God today. And if he was willing to strike people down because they were unholy, then he's willing to strike them down now. People will say, well, that's, that's God of post-grace or pre-grace. No, that's God of post-grace. That's the early church. Because people always want to say, God won't do that these days because we have Jesus. We had Jesus when he struck them dead in the church. That scares me. When I say scare, man, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not scared of dying. I'm scared of being separated. I'm scared that a holy God will find me unholy. Because the command is what? Bill said it last week. Be holy as I am holy. And if we're going to be holy as God is holy, then we have to fear God because God is worthy of being feared. He is worthy of our obedience. We have to recognize that judgment is coming and that we will be judged according to our works. That's what this text says. In 1 Peter, listen to me. The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Go oh, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved in faith by grace. Yes. But you know the only way to tell whether or not that was a true confession is your work. So at the end of our life, we're going to be answerable to who we are and what we've done as evidence that our confession was real. Well, you tell me I, I got saved when I was seven, man. I'm good, right? If, if you got saved when you're seven and you haven't grown in your fruit of the Spirit and you haven't committed yourself to good deeds or good works, it's likely you didn't get saved when you were seven. You can't tell me whether I'm saved. I'm not telling you whether or not you're saved. I'm telling you what the Word says. You judge for yourself whether you're saved. Or even better than that, how about you get on your face when you get home and let God judge whether or not you're saved. Because you can feel good about coming to church. You can feel good about giving. You can feel good about write a big check. We'll cash it. But it will not save you. Be in fear of God because we're going to be judged based on how much we've grown and the good works that we've done because they are the evidence of our faith, of our confession. I declare Jesus Christ is Lord, but I'm not going to do anything that he told me to do. Then your declaration wasn't a declaration. It was something else. It was a waste of your own breath. 
Because you can't call Jesus Christ Lord and not do what he says. Judgment is coming. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Judgment is coming. And sadly, we don't know when it's coming. Which is the third point I want to make today. That rightful fear keeps in mind that we, our time is temporary. Bible says it over and over, several different places, that life is but a vapor. You don't know how long your life's going to last. There's a story in the New Testament about a guy who has all this stuff, and he's going to make bigger barns and do all store himself up, all the stuff that he's made and created. He's going to live the rest of his life in luxury and in ease. And this is what the Word of God said. This is what Jesus said to him. I can find it. He says, Luke 20, 12, 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now you will own, and now who will own what you have prepared? Fearfulness of God keeps us in light of the idea that this is a transient lifestyle. I went to Israel in 2017. It was the it was probably the the coolest place I've ever been. Well, it wasn't probably the coolest place. It's the coolest place I've ever been. I love the food there. I love the culture there. I love the people there. I love the architecture there. The of course all the scriptural context that's there. I I loved it. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't learn Hebrew while I was there. I didn't build a house while I was there. I didn't buy property while I was there. You know why? Because I knew my time there had an expiration date on it. I knew I was just traveling through there. But I was eventually coming back home. That's how we should view eternity. So many of us want to spend time learning the language of the culture. Learn the language of Scripture. Because your time is short. God's coming back. We have access to Him. He's going to judge us impartially. And we should be living as though we are transient in light of those truths. All while being fearful of who He is. All of these things grow or are based out of and grow my fear of Him. I can't imagine being Isaiah walking into the throne room of God and physically seeing His glory fill the throne room. Could you, could, you, could you imagine that? My heart races just thinking about what that might even look like. Much less being in the presence of it. So our access to Him should cause us to be people of reverence, of rightful fear. The fact that He's going to judge us impartially according to what we've done and who we are and the declaration that we've made should cause us to be fearful and live the way we should live and do good deeds as he's told us to do because the Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. Not kind of kicking a little bit. Not running around in circles yapping like a run over dog as my wife said, but dead.
Y'all know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right, Jesse? You seen a dog get run over acting all crazy? Dead. And our time here on earth is short. I have a challenge for you today, and it's pretty simple, really. I want you to spend some time tonight, tomorrow, the day after that, maybe all every day. That'd be awesome. Thinking about how big God is and how small you are. How powerful God is and how you lack power. How in control God is and how much control you don't actually have. How much mercy he extended to you when you didn't deserve it. Begin to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I don't want to beat it to death. I just I just don't want to be part of a church that doesn't care whether or not God's in the room. I think that's fair. God doesn't want to be a char- part of a church where nobody cares if he's in a room. Amen.